0: Let's beyond.
1: For uh, returning your shoeboxes this week. Uh, it's been great to have so many uh, shoeboxes arrive, and um, we'll have a final count and um, tally in, in the, this week's email and, and let you know how that's all gone. Uh, so I just want to thank you everyone for supporting these shoeboxes of hope, which we can send off um, into the, the, the kids' lives that desperately need a bit of joy and a spark of the Gospel this Christmas. So uh, thank you for for being involved in that. Uh, Also, uh, thank you for those that came out Thursday. And uh, also Wednesday, we had the first meeting of the uh, Playground Working Group. And so we have begun meeting, we've been working through um, what we can do to get the playground uh, up and running and getting that installed and going as quick as possible um, and so we're working through that right now so thank you to those members of that working group and uh, we're really looking forward to uh, making some good progress there very soon. We also uh, have Thursdays um, continuing on every week Thursday 10:30 here at the church uh, so please uh, I'd encourage you to join with us for that. But right now we're going to get into our sermon so let's go. Do you struggle with obedience? I know some people do struggle with obedience more than others. Uh, Some members of my family struggle more than others. But but right now I'm struggling with some things, more more than I have before. And I'm gonna level with you here. I really struggle being obedient to wearing a mask. You know, recent studies have proven that there is no statistically significant change in transmission rates between communities that wear masks and those that don't. If masks worked, then you'd expect to see a drastic drop in transmission rates between communities that wore the masks and those that don't, and you just don't see that. No statistically significant change. So I struggle with being obedient on that one. I'm, I'm, I'm honest. And there are plenty of other decrees that you probably struggle with being obedient to also. Like, I really wish that we could open and meet together as a church as nearly normally as possible. I wish we could do that today, but we have to be obedient. I struggle being obedient to a government that suffers from amnesia when it comes to being accountable and seems to be so uncaring towards the psychological and mental health and wellbeing impacts of lockdown and restrictions and isolation and those dehumanising masks on our community. Because they are more concerned with the sole metric of case numbers and seem to disregard the real human and, and emotional wellbeing effects of the lockdown measures. I'm not going to get into a rant on everything that I struggle with, Obedience in, in this circumstance that we find ourselves in because uh, if, if we, were, we were to actually go through all the things I struggle with in this, this COVID lockdown um, from our state government's response to it, then we'd be here for three hours and I don't think you would want to be here that long this morning. I'm sure you'd prefer to be at lunch. But I feel for many of us that obedience is a real struggle. As I've been speaking with, with many of you. I have heard this underlying uh, anger and frustration at just the circumstances which you find it, and I hear you and I feel deeply for you and no one else in our country understands. And, and I, 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 we don't even understand Melbourne, I don't believe, you know. In, in, we still have more freedom here in regional, but there is still this, this oppression that is weighing us all down and, and, and I feel that. And so it's, it's, it's really, it's time to pray. It's time to get on our knees before God, to bring our circumstances before him and to pray with earnest vigor and with urgency. It's time to pray. So we, we struggle with obedience. You know, Israel struggled with obedience too. Um, They they were saved by Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar and Deborah, yet each time they failed to continue in obedience to God and sinned again and again. A cycle that we are no doubt familiar with in our own lives too and a cycle that continues in chapter 6 of Judges. So if you've got your Bibles there, turn with me to Judges, And we're going to go from chapter 6, verse 1. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them they would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, they would come like locusts in numbers. Both they and their camels could not be counted. So they laid waste the land as they came in." And Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out to help for the Lord, uh, to, cried out to help for help to the Lord. So, so we again see this downward spiral continuing and this time it seems to bite especially hard. Midian lays waste to Israel. So the Israelites would plant crops in their fields, They'd worked tirelessly to grow and and cultivate and and, and harvest their crop. Then the Midianites and the Amalekites would swarm over the land in great numbers, pushing the Israelites back into the hills. They would raid and steal everything that the Israelites had worked hard to produce, devouring everything they could see, and then go back to where they lived on their camels too fast to be able to be pursued by the Israelites." The imagery used here is like a swarm of locusts. Only they were swarms of people and animals raiding their lands, and they stripped everything bare. But to conceal as much of their harvested crops and other valuable possessions as possible, the Israelites hid them in caves and dens in the hills. Some even dug holes in the ground to store what they could so they would not starve. Charles Spurgeon once commented, the Lord does not permit his children to sin successfully. And that certainly was true of Israel here. And so after seven years, the people again cry out to the Lord in misery for help. And he gives them some form of an answer as we see from verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, The Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel and he said to them, thus says the Lord, thus saith the Lord, um, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of bondage and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and, and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. God sends an unnamed prophet to the people, to this time explain the reason for his discipline. In the greater narrative of what is going on, it clearly points out that things are getting worse in Israel. As he, God, now rebukes the people for calling on him. This prophet didn't deliver Israel, but rebukes them. God reminds them of the covenant that he established with them as a nation and points out their failure to uphold their end. They've disobeyed God. And so no wonder they're being pillaged and and struggling to just survive. This is where Israel is at, sinfully disobedient, suffering diabolically and being rebuked when they yet again finally cry out to God for help. Then we come across Gideon, verse 11, chapter 6. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. Ophrah was a village over which Gideon's father, Joash, exercised a strong influence. Its exact location is is uncertain, but it appears to have been in the Jezreel Valley. And again, we find someone under a tree. Deborah was found under a palm of a fruitful blessing, and here the angel of the Lord is found sitting under an oak, a site of Canaanite pagan worship belonging to Gideon's father. And we find Gideon inside a wine press threshing the wheat, beating out the wheat. Now, I'm not sure the last time you threshed wheat or beat out wheat was, and if you're like me, then you've never done it. <laughs> so what is the deal with Gideon here? Why would he be in a wine press beating out the wheat? Well, beating out wheat, you know, threshing wheat is something that has been done for thousands of years. The general process hasn't really changed over that time. So normally the Israelites would beat out the wheat in in an open field or, or on a raised piece of ground or a platform. The prevailing wind would blow the lighter chaff away while the heavier grain would fall to the ground. However, Gideon was beating out his grain in a wine press. Now a wine press was used to press the juice out from grapes and to, to capture it all and we're often built in low areas to, to capture as much of the juice as possible, no squirting bits. It's the exact opposite place, a sheltered low pit basically, uh, it's the exact opposite to the place you'd normally want to be beating out wheat Gideon's use of a wine press for threshing grain shows that he felt the Midianite threat. He was there out of fear and so he could remain unnoticed. That's where Gideon is, beating out the grain. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valour. This is a humorous scene. It it actually makes me giggle when I think about it, really. So Gideon's threshing out wheat whilst hiding in this winepress out of fear of the Midianites. And the angel of the the Lord appears and and, and says that the Lord is with him and and calls him a mighty man of valour. You know, valour means being a mighty man of of great courage in the face of danger. That's what Gideon is called, valour, great courage in the face of danger. If you've ever questioned whether God has a sense of humour, it's on display right here. Gideon is hiding in fear. God calls him a mighty man of valour. And it wasn't sarcasm. God calls him a mighty man of great courage in the face of danger. It it just boggles the mind how this, this angel of the Lord could say such a thing, given his circumstances of where he found him. However, it is clear that the angel was addressing Gideon as the man he would become by God's enablement, enablement, not the man he was then. God would do a mighty work in and through Gideon because God had called him. In the same way, God had called Abraham the father of multitudes before he had any children. He called Peter a rock before he behaved as one. He also calls Christians saints, even though we are not yet as saintly as God will make us. One of the great truths of scripture is that when God looks at us, he does not see us for what we are, but for what we can become as he works in our lives. We so often take on the labels that other people give us, that other people call us. It's so easy to fall into that trap. What people call us, we will eventually naturally take on that label. What is spoken over us, we take on. And I really like the angel of the Lord who didn't come down again and say, the Lord is with you, scared weakling. That's what our world would speak into Gideon. But no, the angel of the Lord sees Gideon as God sees him and calls him a mighty man of valour. How different would it be if we too spoke into those around us with a sense of how God sees us? If we looked upon people as God looks upon people and spoke into their lives in that way know, I'm sure that, that we have a church full of mighty men and women of valour, men and women of courage, men and women of perseverance, men and women of resolve, men and women of great faith. So next time when you are greeting someone, why not greet them like the angel of the Lord? The Lord is with you, mighty man of valour. Gideon then responds to the angel of the Lord in verse 13. Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian." Gideon responds by questioning what the angel said. And so he questions the first statement, the Lord is with you. That's the very first thing the angel said and that's what Gideon questions first. The Lord is with you. Really? The Lord is with me? Then why am I in a wine press threshing wheat? Why are we barely surviving? Why are we being ransacked and pillaged? The Lord is with us. I've been told stories of what God has done for our ancestors, but as I look around today, where is that God? He's left us. He's forgotten about us. He's given us away. Now we are suffering. So so Gideon, he, he questions the truthfulness of what the angel said. So Gideon could not understand why the Israelites were suffering as as they were, if God was indeed with his people. He failed to realize that their condition was the result of their abandoning God, not his abandoning them. Verse 14, And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do I not send you? The angel of the Lord hits back at this question from Gideon, telling him to go and do what he's been called to do. But Gideon is still not understanding everything. Verse 15. He said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least In my father's house? He questions the second part of what the angel first said. A mighty man of valour? How could this be true of Gideon? He was from the weakest tribe, he was from the weakest clan in the weakest tribe, and he was the least regarded in his family of the weakest clan of the weakest tribe. How could the angel of the Lord call him mighty? Or a man of valour? How could such an insignificant person such as Gideon, as he thought of himself, how could he save Israel? How could he save his people from the Midianites who swarmed over their land like a plague of locusts? So Gideon was looking to his own personality and background for natural signs of leadership, but God was promising supernatural enablement. And Gideon's response to this divine word, however, is, is the first in a series of responses and actions that characterized him, that characterize him as lacking faith, which serves to demonstrate the further deterioration in the character of the judges as we continue down this downward spiral. So to confirm that the angel really was a divine messenger and not just a figment of his imagination that these words were coming from God, Gideon requested some supernatural confirmation that this calling was from God. And so we're going to read Judges 16, uh, uh, chapter 6, verses 16 through 24. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, if now I have found favour in your eyes, then show me a sign that, is, that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went out into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour, the meat he put in a basket the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebinth, the oak tree, and presented them. And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes, and put them on this rock, and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out at the tip of the staff that was in his hand, and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock, and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day it still stands at Ophrah, which, which belongs to the Abizrites. So the menu that Gideon offered his visitor was what a person would normally set before a guest, whom one wished to honour in a special way in, in the culture of the day. The angel directed Gideon to place that food, the meat and bread, on a rock and to pour out the broth on the ground to resemble both a burnt sacrifice on an altar and a drink offering that was poured out. The angel's miracle of of utterly consuming the sacrifice with fire convinced Gideon that he was God and that he would fulfil his promises to be with Gideon and to grant him victory. Perhaps Gideon remembered how God similarly had consumed the fire sacrifices on the brazen altar when the Israelites dedicated the tabernacle in the wilderness. If so, this memory might have encouraged him to believe that the same God who had delivered Israel then was still with his people now and could deliver them again. Verse 25. That night the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old And pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold here with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night, mighty man of valour. And so after the angel had vanished, the Lord appeared to Gideon again the same night. He commanded him to tear down his family's pagan altar and its accompanying Asherah pole, build an altar to God and offer his father's bull as a burnt offering of worship. And you know, the fact that this bull was seven years old, the same length of time that they were being chastised by the Midianites, is a point not lost to me. This would have been a rare and valuable bull indeed. What's also not lost to me is that Gideon's name means hewer or, or hacker. So this event, tearing the altar and, and Asherah pole in, in pieces, may have even been the source of his name. What I also find strange is that the family has taught Gideon the traditions of the people of God but they practice rituals of Baal. So here is a clear indication of the amalgamation of Canaanite religious practices in Israel's religion at this period. So this act of tearing down the family's pagan altar constituted a public confession of Gideon's commitment to the Lord. It was necessary for him to take this stand personally before the nation would follow him as its judge. The real problem in Israel was not the Midianites' oppression, but Israel's spiritual bondage due to idolatry. So Gideon uses this bull to to pull apart the Canaanite altar and to sacrifice as a burnt offering to God. So this sacrifice, it serves a twofold purpose. First, burnt offerings of worship made atonement and symbolise the offerer's total dedication to the Lord. Secondly, Gideon's sacrifice constituted a rejection of Baal worship since the bull was the sacred animal in the Baal fertility cult. You know how different this is from from Deuteronomy 13, 6-10 where Moses commanded that even close relatives must be stoned for idolatry? The the heresy here had actually become the main religion. That's how far they had gone from what Moses had established as the law. But Gideon had stood up and torn down the altar to Baal and he was becoming the mighty man of valour that God had called him to be. But still he has a long way to go because he was still more scared of the people of man than he was of God. So he did all that under the cover of darkness at night. Verse 28 to 32. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, the ashram beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die for he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all those who stood against him, will you contend for Baal or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a God, let him contend for himself because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubbaal, That is to say, let Baal contend against him because he had broken down his altar. Now, ironically, Gideon's daring act of faith inspired his father Joash to take a, take a stand for God. Even though Joash, until that very morning, had been a leader of Baal worship the person whom Gideon probably feared most, his father, had become his most outspoken defender. There are many large looming influences over our lives. For some of us, like Gideon, it might be a parent or it could be a, a sibling, a boss, a friend. We often have these large looming figures of influence over us. And we too can act in fear of them. Gideon was afraid of his father, but by being obedient to God, he inspired his father to not only defend his son, but to go against Baal and instead defend God. It is amazing what godly obedience can inspire in others. Darby, one commentator, makes this comment Obedience first and then strength. This is God's order. It's poignant. The story of Gideon is one that I'm sure many of us can relate to. Gideon is is the only judge whose personal struggles with his faith are recorded. Gideon is a great encouragement to people who have a hard time accepting themselves and believing that God can make anything out of them or do anything with them. But God can do mighty and amazing things with those who respond in obedience to the call of God. We too, like Gideon, may inquire as to how. We too may like understanding as to how we could accomplish what God has called us to. Because to our logic, it seems near on impossible. Our job is to be obedient. And our obedience can vastly impact other people. Joash, he turned around completely He went from leading the worship of Baal on that altar to defending Gideon and God against Baal and his followers. You never know what your obedience to God could spark in someone else. You never know who might become a Joash in your family or amongst your friends. You never know who might become a powerful proponent of the gospel who were once powerful opponents. Of the gospel. Think of Paul. He was full on against Christianity to the point he was killing Christians. Yet he met Jesus and became the greatest preacher of the gospel in Scripture. You never know how an encounter with Jesus can change a person's life and, by extension, the lives of so many others. And God could do that through you if you too are obedient to him, just like Gideon. So today I have two takeaways for you, two. First of all, obedience to God must be a Christian's priority. Obedience to God must be a Christian's priority. Just like in the time of judges, we too live in a selfish world. Our selfish world openly mocks Godly obedience. Upright morals have gone by the wayside. Common decency is out of fashion. It's all about what I can get, do what I want to do, regardless of anyone else, especially God. But our selfish world is wrong. Our selfish world has missed the beauty of being obedient to God. Our selfish world misses the grace that God gives to all of humanity in leading us towards righteousness and blessing. The book of Judges serves as a warning to all followers of God that to ignore him will be at our peril. Yet to be obedient to God brings salvation. And so obedience to God must be a Christian's priority. And it is being obedient in the little things and the big things. There's no greater testimony in a selfish world than to display obedience to God, to stand upon and act from godly convictions, to bring hope and share God's grace. But I'm sure that we've all observed this being done poorly. We've all seen this done poorly through people being judgmental or legalistic. Those two things will will destroy a witness and testimony that could have instead brought so much life. Legalism and being judgmental. See, it must be measured by grace. It must be oozing with a deep understanding that we are the recipients of God's unmerited favour And that favour is extended to all. And so to be obedient to God and to bring hope and share His grace will bring vast impact. We cannot afford to be selfish and keep God to ourselves. We're not an exclusive club. Being obedient to God means we share His grace and hope with others. It means that we explain to our family and friends the reality of the experience we have with God. We talk to our neighbour and share the strength and endurance that comes with faith in Christ and the calm assurances of our eternal destiny and the joy we have in the imminent return of Christ. Our obedience brings impact. And my second point today from this passage that we've gone through on Gideon is we are who God says we are when God calls you a mighty man of valor believe him when God calls you a conqueror believe him when God calls you an overcomer believe him when God calls you a son or daughter of the most high God believe him when God calls you chosen believe him When God calls you a new creation, believe him. When God calls you redeemed, believe him. When God calls you victorious, believe him. When God calls you free, believe him. When God calls you blessed, believe him. When God calls you loved, believe him. When God calls you forgiven, believe him. When God calls you his masterpiece, believe him. When God calls you mine, believe him. You are who God says you are. Don't listen to arguments like Gideon had, but I'm the most insignificant from the smallest of the least. No, you are who God says you are. You are beautiful. You are lovely. You are loved. You are chosen, special, created in His image, cared for, strong, precious, protected, unique, important, forgiven, created for a purpose, empowered, accepted, family, you are His. And this reality should further encourage us to be bold and confident in our obedience to Christ and the call of God. So let me encourage us all today. Obedience to God must be a Christian's priority because obedience brings impact. And we are who God says we are. So be bold and confident and walk in that reality. Well, that's my message today. No gore, no guts, no nothing of that. Just a solid message. You are who God says you are, so walk boldly in it and be obedient to God. Obedience must be a Christian's priority because obedience brings impact. Tune back in next week as we continue walking through this story of Gideon. But now let's close our service with one last song, I am who you say I am. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word which speaks truth into our lives. Lord, all of those things I said today were all from scripture of who you say we are. And may we walk in that reality and, and may we, we believe you when you say to us that, Lord, we are a mighty man, or woman of valour. We are a conqueror, more than a conqueror that we're overcomers, that we're children of the Most High God, that we're chosen, a new creation, redeemed, victorious, free, blessed, everything I said before, Lord, may that sink deeply into us and permeate our very beings by your grace. So Lord, may you help us be obedient and may our obedience to you inspire faith and mighty works in others as it impacts those around us. bringing them hope by your grace. So Lord, I, I ask that you be with us now as we, 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 we finish this service today. May this message impact us and walk with us. May you bring it back to mind as we continue our week ahead. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.
2: Who am I that the highest King would welcome me? I was lost, but He brought me in all oh, His love. The sun sets free Oh, it's free indeed I'm a child of God Yes, I am At last He has ransomed me His grace runs deep While I was a slave to sin is die nice. That
1: Thanks so much for joining with us for church today. It was great that uh, you joined with us. Uh, really looking forward to next week as we continue the story of Gideon. So don't forget the message from this week that uh, obedience must be a Christian's priority because obedience brings impact and you are who God says you are. Don't let anybody else tell you those lies. Don't take on the messages of other people like Gideon. You know. Uh, to take on the message of what God calls you. You are what God says you are. So, uh, so walk in that reality and blessings to everyone.